Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. So Mark 20, excuse me, Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. We're going to read that in just a minute. Uh, we have been, since January, studying through the gospel of Mark, and we've, we've been looking at various themes in Mark. Uh, you can go back to the title slide, Faith. We'll get there in a minute. Um, and uh, different themes through the gospel of Mark. First, we talked about what does Mark say uh, about following Jesus, about being a disciple? What does that look like to follow Jesus? And then next, we looked at what does it mean to uh, have true religion or religion that God would say is, is good? And, and we, we talked about how it's not about the activity, the things we do, but it's about our heart posture. And ultimately, uh, Carrie Nibbles was here last week. How many of you enjoyed her message last week? And, and she shared about how ultimately this boils down to love for God and love for people is the ultimate expression of what true religion looks like. And so we are going to start a new theme this morning uh, from the Gospel of Mark and what we're going to be doing is for the next four weeks leading up to Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about a theme that we're calling Upside Down. Upside Down. And we want to start asking the question for these four weeks, uh, what does it look like to be in Jesus' kingdom? Because his kingdom is a lot different than the kingdoms of the earth and the kingdoms of this world or my personal kingdoms. And we're going to talk more about what that means over these next four weeks because Jesus' kingdom is flipped dramatically from what we might expect a kingdom to be. Uh, kingdoms generally are ruled by a king or a queen, right? They have power. Uh, they exert authority and influence over people. And, and while Jesus has a lot of power and influence, he does it in a really upside down way. And so if we want to follow Jesus in his kingdom and live life in his kingdom, we need to consider how to do that in this way. And, and so this morning, um, what I want to do is ask a question about which Jesus is it that you are following? And I want to share this uh, clip from a movie that some of you are going to love and some of you are going to hate. Um, but I think this will help Dear us think Tiny about which Jesus. Go ahead and play that. Dear Tiny Infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist palm. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. That is from the uh, cult classic Talladega Nights starring Will Ferrell. Uh, I'm so happy I got to fit that into a uh, sermon somehow. Uh, but but here's, here's what's funny about that. You know, all joking aside, it's a super goofy movie. Um, but one of the things that is happening in this scene is there's some cultural commentary happening that people on the outside that are not necessarily Christians have this perspective on, on, a, on, a, on a, a view of what Christianity is like. 
And, and there's a perspective on what it looks like to pray to Jesus that's being uh, talked about here. Now, you might think this is overgeneralized. It's comedy. They, they expand everything, exaggerate everything to make a point. But what I think is really interesting and part of the question I want to ask this morning is, which Jesus do you pray to? Will Farrell and Ricky Bobby and his character likes to pray to the little baby Jesus. His father-in-law liked to pray to the man Jesus with a beard. There's some funny pictures of Jesus on the internet. There's buff Jesus. There's hippie Jesus. There's surfer Jesus. There's, I saw today, Jesus with like a tat that says father on it because he's always talking about his father. There's really goofy images of Jesus. There's Jesus, my buddy. There's Jesus who's all powerful and his eyes are fire and I can't go near him. Who is Jesus? And, and, and I think it's really important when we're saying we're in Jesus' kingdom to know, well, which Jesus? Which kingdom is it that we are in? A couple of really interesting quotes from that, from that little clip. I, I love when uh, Ricky Bobby's wife says, listen, I want you to say this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. That's telling me something about the Jesus she thinks she's praying to. That if I say it right, I get what I want. Some of us pray to that kind of Jesus. That's our vision of the kingdom. If I say it right, if I do it right, if I act right, I'm gonna get the thing from Jesus that I want. Some of us are a little more silly and flippant about it, like Ricky Bobby. Ah, I'm just gonna pray to the little baby Jesus. Let's see what happens. We, we've all got ideas about what Jesus we're praying to which one we have in mind. And, and here's why I'm bringing this up. As we're following Jesus, as we're living life in his kingdom, we need to have a Jesus-shaped perspective on life. A truly Jesus-shaped perspective, not my vision of six pounds, seven ounce little baby Jesus perspective. Not the image of Jesus that I see in paintings or in movies, or even as, as well done as it sounds like it is, I haven't seen it yet, but the chosen if you've seen that series. It's not even that. Still is kind of like feeling around, guessing at what it, what it probably could have been like. But we don't know when, when we look at all of these cultural versions of Jesus. And, and it's so important for us to have this Jesus-shaped perspective on life because when we have a Jesus-shaped perspective on life, it allows us to live out kingdom living. It allows us to live in his kingdom well, like we've been talking about. What does it mean to follow Jesus well? What's it mean to, to love God and love people well? The only way we can really do that right is if we have a Jesus-shaped perspective. But what happens, like this, this movie in this clip we saw, is, is that we often put Jesus as kind of the label or the face or the name over something, over our, our Christianity, and, and then what we do is we, we have our, our flesh and our own desires that's actually what's underneath. Or, or our culture's idea about what influence is or what success is or what uh, power is. What influence is. And when we have all those things and we overlay and put Jesus on top of that, but it's just the world's kingdoms by a different name. So... We all have different ideas of Jesus. Some of us think that Jesus is the one who will make us successful, like Ricky Bobby's wife. Pray real good so we win tomorrow. Pray real good so we get lots of money. If I do the right things, Jesus will bless me. Some of us have another idea of Jesus is the one who will make me influential. Pastors struggle with this a lot, honestly. 
including myself. It's, it's so easy to kind of, I'm going to build my platform. I'm going to build my stage. I'm just going to share these things here. And social media kind of just heightens all of this. And, and the idea is I'm going to use Jesus to build my brand. Some of us have an idea of Jesus as the one who will make us victorious. No problem. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So, so we take that and we run with that. But what's actually underneath is, is, is a very westernized, Americanized, success-driven thing where I say, I can achieve all my goals. And I just slap the name of Jesus on top of it in a little Bible verse. Some of you might be going like, wait, what did I walk into this morning? What are we talking about? Now, doesn't Jesus have a, a version of success? Yeah. Isn't there a sense in which Jesus is very influential? Absolutely. Isn't there a sense in which Jesus is victorious? Yes. These are not trick questions, but, but there's shades of truth in all of these. But my point is, is that we take our own fleshly vision of what each of those words mean, our own definition, our worldly kingdom definitions, and we, we import that into the name of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus. And, and, and that's what we struggle with. And this is honestly what, you know, how, how many of you have seen what's been happening with a lot of large churches lately? They're imploding because of abuses of power. People building their own kingdoms. And I don't, this isn't just happening in large churches. This can happen in small churches too. So this isn't to knock on the, uh, a mega church or anything. This is the human condition. This is why people are suspicious of institutions like churches, like government, like, like any large university or anything. Everyone is questioning everything in this way right now. Because there's so many abuses of power in this way. And especially when it's done in the name of Jesus, it's like, mm, kind of makes us sick to our stomach or puts a bad taste in our mouths. You know what I'm saying? But in our own way, we all wrestle with this. Which Jesus are you praying to? Which Jesus do you have in mind that you are following? And you know that you and I are not alone. I hope this is encouraging to you. The 12 disciples that changed the world through following Jesus, they struggled with the exact same problem. The exact same problem. And that's what we're going to read today in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. So let's read this together. And I want you to see how Jesus offers us something that is upside down, flipped in a way that's unexpected, that goes against the grain of what we think our, our kingdoms should look like. So let's read this together. It says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Jesus replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not 
from God's. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would flip our paradigm upside down this morning. I pray, Lord, over these next four weeks that uh, you would begin to draw us into the beauty of your kingdom that looks like nothing any of us have ever seen before. Teach us how to walk in your upside down, unusual way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me give you a bit of context for what's happening in this passage here. Jesus is about the halfway point of his ministry. He, he, he had an active ministry from the time of his baptism until his crucifixion, and that was about three years. And this is about a year and a half into that time. And, and so they're going to go up to Caesarea Philippi, which is not a, there were a couple little Jewish settlements in there, but this was not a place where there was a heavy Jewish population. And that was the people that Jesus spent his time ministering to. So for Jesus and his disciples, this is a retreat. They're going to get away for a bit. It's the halfway point of his ministry. And he's going to spend some time just kind of away where he's not known. Uh, the Gentiles don't really care. They're worshiping other gods there. Uh, th so this is a place where he can be anonymous and just retreat uh, with his disciples. It's in, it's in the, the place where the present day uh, Golan Heights is and Mount Hermon, if you're kind of familiar with that. Once in a while, it pops up on the news. Uh, it's, it's a very strategic military uh, location, but it's also beautiful. It, it is lush. It's green. There's beautiful uh, water there. There's forests. Uh, the spring for the Jordan River flows from there. So it's a really beautiful, beautiful location as well. So it's a great place. Uh, it's beautiful now, uh, but it was probably even more beautiful back then and, and less uh, touched by, by any kind of building or or anything like that. And so Jesus brought his disciples here to retreat and to get away. And, and, and he's about to set them on course for his death in Jerusalem. This is the whole tone of Mark's gospel changes at this point. You're just seeing him walk in power and victory and teaching. And he's confounding the, the religious establishment. And they're all like, this is amazing. Our Messiah, which is the, the, the Hebrew term for Christ, uh, has come. Christ is not his last name, by the way. It's a title, in case you were wondering. Um, and uh, it's a term that means the anointed one. It was the figure that was identified in the Old Testament as the one who was going to be sent from God to redeem and restore Israel. And he was going to set them free from their oppression. And so they had a lot of ideas about what that meant. And you're seeing through the whole first half of Mark, there's victory and there's defeat over demons and Jesus is healing everyone and he's, he's flipping the tables. Uh, he hasn't literally flipped the tables yet in the temple, but everything's going so well. They arrive at this half point in the story. And now what Mark is beginning to do is he's going to start setting the course for his death on the cross. And so this story is very abrupt as you're reading uh, Mark's gospel because it changes the tone completely. And what Jesus is going to do here is he flips things upside down. Is What Jesus does here is flip uh, what I'm going to say are three ideas, three perspectives that he's flipping upside down. That for us, I, I think will help us think about what it means to be in his kingdom in a way uh, that is different than the way our world thinks about kingdoms. 
So the first one I want to talk to you about is this. Jesus flips the paradigm where he uh, promotes suffering over success. Amen. How many of you are ready to sign up for Jesus' gospel now? Everyone's like, I'm going home. I'm going home. Suffering over success. Uh, Jesus was in this place. Let me give you a little more context. He was in this place, Caesarea Philippi, uh, that was a, a special, uh, it was especially pagan. Uh, there were temples to Caesar. There were temples to basically every god you could possibly think of in this place. It, there was a heavy, uh, not just uh, de temples dedicated to gods, but temples dedicated to other kings, emperors. It was a place where the powerful and the wealthy kings and successful kings of the earth were celebrated. This was a space uh, where you went to and you look around and you see, wow, success, success, success. This is like going to Wall Street, going to Times Square and seeing someone's face up on a giant billboard LED wall. This is where success is. It'd be like Jesus standing there with his disciples in the midst of all of that success. And things have been going amazing up to this point. And imagine Jesus standing there like in Times Square or something with all of this success around. And he's like, who do people say that I am? And then saying, who do you say that I am? <laughs> well, you're the Messiah, which means you're better than all this. You're going to be more successful than all of these, all these faces up here. You're going to be, this is going to be amazing, Jesus. And, and Peter, being the outspoken one that he is, makes himself the spokesperson for the group. Uh, but they all kind of think about this together. And, and he makes this claim, you are the Messiah. And, and hear the subtlety of what's happening in this place. Against all of these other visions of success, monuments to success, uh, uh, Peter, in his mind, sets Jesus up as more successful. But do you think he's doing it uh, with a Jesus-shaped vision of success in his mind? Or a worldly vision of success in his mind? Isn't that very, yeah, very, yeah, very, very clear. Like he, he, this is, this is significant what he's doing here. And, and then Jesus says something really, really dumb. He says, I just want you to all know, I want you to know that I am going to suffer many terrible things. Huh? No, no, I'm sorry, Jesus. I didn't, maybe you didn't hear me correctly. I said you were the Messiah. That, that means, like, I mean, we, we could spend all day going through the Old Testament. We could spend years going through the Old Testament and identify all of these passages connected to who the Messiah was. How he was going to bring victory over Jerusalem's enemies. How he was going to throw them out of the city. How, how he was going to finally establish the kingdom of God on earth forever. I, I'm sorry, Jesus, I don't think you heard me. I said you're going to be the Messiah. Let me say it better so we win the, win the race tomorrow, to put it in a different way. Let, let, me, let me just say that a little clearer, Jesus. You, you're not supposed to suffer. You're supposed to be successful. And if you suffer, it's not going to look as good as what all these people did. How many of you find yourself uh, in the comparison game a lot? Comparing yourself to other Moms, other coworkers, other students, 
comparing yourself to other athletes, comparing yourself to other, whatever your hobby is of choice, comparing yourself to other whatever. You, you, you kind of always have someone else in your eye that you're measuring yourself up against when it comes to your success. Is that exhausting to you? Oh man, it's exhausting to me and I still find myself doing it. It's exhausting. It's exhausting because you know, you aren't another person, you're only you. And, and, and when we stop trying to be who God made us to be and we try to be someone else, we don't do a good job of being them and we do a terrible job of being us. But, but a lot of times when we're chasing success, we've got this idea that it, I, it can't look like anything bad is happening. I can't be suffering. If things aren't going right in my life, if I've got pain in my life, if I've got disappointment in my life, I, th- that just, there's no room for that because I've got this thing called the kingdom that I'm supposed to be taking out to my neighbors and displaying in, in my workplace and, and making, showing myself to be a witness for the gospel. But this doesn't look very successful. I'm not good enough as a mom. I'm not good enough as a husband. I'm not good enough as a parent. I'm not good enough as a teacher. I'm not good enough as a boss. I'm not good, whatever it is. Also, we talk about, just besides the comparison game, we, we get in comparison things when we think, man, I've got way more problems in my life than they do too. If they had the problems I had, Let's see how good of a job they'd be doing. But the, the struggle here and the challenges is when we, we, we put on Jesus, Jesus, why are you letting this happen to me? I said I'd follow you. Why am I suffering? Jesus, I said I'd do anything for your kingdom. Why is this happening? Where is this pain coming from? It's, it's, it, I love how Pete Scazzaro puts it. He says, it, it, it's like a, a foreign alien object invading our life, pain and suffering. That's how we treat pain. But, but what if we were to think about this upside down? What if Jesus had a different paradigm for suffering and pain? What if it was used as the place of growth in our lives? I mean, you've heard it said, no pain, no gain, Right? in a really simple way. Now, you can have a ton of pain. If you don't give it to Jesus, it's no gain. But, but if you can learn how to live out suffering and pain the way Jesus did, not saying, oh, praise God, I'm suffering. No, it stinks. But if, but if you can learn how to not be interested in the comparison game, being successful on the outside, making sure that I stack up against whoever your competition is, and are able to embrace the pain, the suffering, the things that Jesus is leading you into. I wonder if there's some growth on the other side. I wonder what Jesus would want to bring out of that in your life. We, we follow Jesus and it's so hard sometimes to, to not go down that like, well, if I just pray right, this will go away. Or sometimes we look at pain and suffering and we're like, oh, it's an attack from the enemy. It's an attack from the enemy. And sometimes it's just life. Now, sometimes it's an attack from the enemy, but sometimes it's just life. That'll be our next theme when we talk about authority. But right now, 
the, we don't get to that theme of authority. We're, we were talking a lot about what, what order to do things in. And we felt like it was really important that we talk about this, this cross-shaped kind of suffering that Jesus did before we talk about authority. Because if we don't understand that the first call is to suffer, then we're not gonna know how to handle power and authority when it's handed to us. We'll be like bullies. And there's too many Christian bullies in the world today. So if we can learn this flipped paradigm where we, where we suffer well and we're not interested in the comparison game, we're not interested in success, we're not interested if we look like that person on Instagram, we're not interested if we do the same thing or have the same amount of followers or whatever it is, we're interested in walking and living out what God is doing in me right now. I don't need to be powerful, I don't need to be successful, I am content with whatever God is allowing to happen in my life right now. And I'm going to respond to this suffering in a way like Jesus did that will lead me into something new. So I think that's the first paradigm that Jesus is flipping. He said, you, you have, you're seeing things from a human point of view. You need to see things from a God's point of view. And the first perspective that flips is suffering over success. Second is rejection over reputation. How many of you are ready to be rejected? Amen. That's so much encouragement for you all today. It's great. Suffering, rejection. This is fun. No, it, it is painful. But, but this is so important. Jesus doesn't just flip upside down in his kingdom uh, this idea of success through suffering. Jesus flips upside down what matters about your reputation and who it matters to. He says, you know, not only am I gonna suffer, but the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, they're gonna all reject me. Now, put your just Bible scholar hat on for a second. Can you put your Bible scholar hat on with me for a second? Just come on, humor me for a minute. I'm a nerd. Um, thank you, Jersey, I really like Two-handed approach. He's like, I'm ready. He's got a helmet. He's got a Bible scholar helmet on. Um, uh, the, the whole thing with the Messiah is it's so linked into the idea of priesthood in the Old Testament. It's so linked into the temple institution and the whole, the, the whole temple. There's thousands of people that worked just making the temple's thing happen and bringing the sacrifices and doing all this stuff. And, and so if Jesus is going to be the Messiah, he's kind of got to be able to like get influence over the temple. Is that fair to say? That's kind of important in this world. You're kind of thinking, I, why does it matter? In this world, it matters, okay? Imagine that Jesus is here today doing this in our context. Like we talked about success compared to Times Square. Imagine he's gonna say, hey, I'm gonna run this brilliant PR campaign, but I'm not gonna use social media. I'm not gonna use the internet. I'm not gonna use TV. I'm not even gonna use a newspaper. I maybe will use a mailing thing, but that probably won't use that either. Can you imagine how horrible of, like he hires a PR firm. He's like, no, 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 I don't wanna use any of that. Can you imagine how frustrated they would be with him? How many PR firms would drop Jesus? Because they're like, wait, wait, don't we need this to like leverage like what we're here for? 
If I'm the Messiah, I need to leverage the, the temple institution. That's kind of like what's a whole part of this thing. We're going to restore proper worship and Israel's going to be restored. This is a big deal. Like if Jesus is in our day, like I said, like this is a PR nightmare. You know, Jesus's entire life was a PR nightmare. He, he's, he's born into the world and God, his father, I love my son. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send angels to announce his birth. But he doesn't send them to the emperor of Rome. He doesn't send them to King Herod. He doesn't send them to anyone that can leverage their influence to get this word out. He sends it to some really disreputable dirty shepherds in a field. And they come into town like, we saw angels. This is like some farmer out in like New Mexico coming in like, I saw an alien. This, this is what it would be. They're like, oh my gosh, the shepherds like, you've been, you've been kind of, sniffing the sheep's wool a little too much there, huh? You guys got a little too close to the sheep wool again, sniffing that too much. No, no, we really saw angels. They told us the Messiah was born. Horrible PR strategy. Jesus's life was a horrible PR strategy. He, he, he was not interested in reputation and influence the way that you and I think reputation is supposed to work. And the very people that it, the disciples thought he needed to leverage his reputation. He's like, they're gonna reject me. We have no inroads there. It's not gonna happen. All right, we're over two now, Jesus. You're gonna be suffering. You're not successful. You're not gonna do what any of these guys did. Now you're saying, like, they're gonna reject. How, how are we gonna get this done? How are we gonna get this done? This is, this is amazing to me that, that Jesus is so confident, not in himself, but in what God has called him to do, his father has called him to do, that he can say, I'm going to do this in a way that no human on earth would think makes sense. Now, the cross is not mentioned specifically in this passage, but we know where that's going, and he knows where that's going. His disciples don't know yet. But he's saying, man, I'm gonna do this in a completely different way. Do you, do you know what the Apostle Paul said about the cross of Jesus? He says, it's foolishness to the world. Jesus' uh, idea of gaining influence and building and growing his reputation, it's foolish, is it not? How many of you, anyone responsible, we're gonna, like when we planted this church, we sent out mailers. We posted things on Facebook. Can you imagine for like, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to let everyone in the community reject us. Now, that happens sometimes, and usually it's because churches sometimes are acting like jerks. But sometimes we're trying to just be faithful to what God's doing. And it just doesn't make sense. Can you imagine what it would look like to start? Here we go. We're going to be rejected. Are you ready? How many of you have a fear of rejection? Let's be honest. I have a fear of rejection. Sometimes I'm scared, like, maybe no one's going to come to church today. And I shouldn't take that personally, but sometimes I can. That's my problem, not yours. But sometimes there's a fear of rejection. Well, I don't want to, like, push too hard or say the wrong thing, because then they might just, like, reject me. And sometimes we actually choose not to walk in truth. We choose not to walk in honesty because of our fear of being rejected. I don't want to say too much. 
I don't push too hard. And I'm not even talking about your witness for the gospel. I'm just talking about everyday life. Like, you know, maybe with, with your spouse. Like, hey, could you not, like, leave the dishwasher dirty? Sometimes even those level of things. Like, I don't want to be rejected. I'm afraid of that, so I'm, I'm not going to say anything. But here, here's my point. I'm going on a little bit of a tangent. But Jesus is flipping upside down how you do kingdom reputation. You don't do it by leveraging every bit of communication that the world's offering, making yourself look good. If God leads you to do something and there's an open door and that's something that's an invitation from Jesus, amen. But if it's not, you should run away from it. What Jesus is doing here is he's so trusting that the Father's working this out. The Father's working this out. He's showing us how to be perfectly human. How many of you, myself included, are like, Every day, oh, the Father's working this out. Now, I'm not saying we don't have a responsibility to do something, but when he gives us instruction, how many of us say, this is a bad plan, God? I have a better way of doing it. I'm gonna get the word out. I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna do this. And he's like, no, 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 I just want you to do this. No, that's a bad plan. And, and what God is trying to do is flip are thinking upside down from how the world does it. Because let's go back, as I love to do, to the Garden of Eden. What is, is the moment of, of sin that Adam and Eve have there? Where is it? It's because it's not, it didn't even start when they took the fruit. They had sinned before that. How do I know that? Because their whole reason they took the fruit is because they no longer were interested in being dependent on God and his timing for things. They were gonna rule the earth, multiply. They were gonna make the whole earth like Eden. How are we gonna do that? The serpent comes along. I can make you wise. You just need to take that tree right there. Now, instead of trusting how God wanna do it by increasing their dependency on him and teaching them how to live dependently on him. They go, well, we'll figure this out. This makes sense. And we've all been doing that ever since. Isn't that how you and I make decisions so much? I, I am so terrible. We were just, I was just talking about this before the service with someone. I'm terrible sometimes when I'm feeling anxious or I have a lot to do of actually slowing down to discern what Jesus is inviting me to do. I just look to my task list and go, all right, I'm just gonna get it done. No, I don't need to know God's will right now. I just need to get this done. What if we radically thought about our reputation at that level? What if I only focused on the very thing that God's calling me to, the things he is calling me to in my life, and I don't need to worry about whether I'm rejected by this person or that person because I know I'm not rejected by the Father. And he is the one whose thoughts of me matter. It flips the paradigm upside down. So rejection over reputation. We, it leads us into dependency on the Father where we can do things in a way that seem like foolishness to the world. And third and finally, Jesus here in this passage is, is shaping and flipping our perspective by leading us in vindication over victory. Vindication over victory. Now, they're similar but there's an important difference. Let me give you a little more context. Not only are there a bunch of temples and a bunch of shrines and a bunch of monuments to, to kings in this place, 
there's something else going on here. There, there was a, a, uh, a cave that uh, I, I still don't know if they know, have seen, gotten to the bottom of it yet, but there's a really, really deep cavern at, at this mount where Mount Hermon is and in this area where, where Jesus and his disciples were. And it was known in that day as the gates of hell. And it was thought that this was actually, in the Hebrew world, this was actually thought to be one of the entry points into the underworld where Satan was and where the enemy was and where the dead go. And, and in this time, it was uh, under a lot of Greek influence. It was uh, called Pan's Grotto. Pan is the Greek god of fear and terror. It's where we get the word panic from. This is the place of terror. It, it, you could, uh, we could, this is like a whole conversation we can have another time, but this, this geographic reason, uh, region is in biblical, uh, in the biblical worldview is thought to be one of the most spiritually dark places on the planet. This whole, it's a great place to go for a spiritual retreat, right? For some reason that doesn't bother Jesus. Maybe we should learn a lesson from that. But, but Jesus goes to this incredibly spiritually dark place and think about this, who do you say that I am? So not only does Peter have this vision of worldly success, and he's like, we're going to show them you're the Messiah. He's also there in the midst of this place where the very power of hell, of darkness, of the source of all the problems in the world is right there. And he's saying, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah i.e. you are going to break down all of this stuff here. And in fact, I think it's in Matthew's gospel, Jesus follows up Peter's reply, you're the Messiah, by saying, you're right, and the gates of hell will not prevail. He's talking about the very place they're in. The gates of hell, and gates, remember, are not offensive, they're defensive. The very gates of hell are going to be broken down as the kingdom of God advances. So you can imagine all the disciples being all like Tim the Toolman Taylor, like, like all pumped up. I don't know. You guys know what I'm talking about? Tim the Toolman Taylor, right? Home Improvement? There's like no blank expressions. I was like, there's no way no one knows that show. Um, but you just like, it feels like a very like manly kind of like moment, right? You're just like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna tear down the gates of hell. The Messiah's here. We're gonna get victory. And they start singing like Elevation Worship. I'm gonna see a victory. And, and they just start getting all like pumped up and amped. And he's like, just so you know, remember, I, and here's how it's gonna happen. I'm gonna suffer. I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to be killed. And they're like, shh, Jesus, keep it down. This is the very gates of the enemy's stronghold. You want to say that here? Shh. Let's, can we just discuss this first? Jesus, you, you can't die because if you die, that means they win. If you suffer, that means the enemy won. If you experience pain, we experience pain. If you get killed, that, that means this was for nothing. Jesus, you, you can't. I love what he says. Jesus says, it is necessary that I suffer in some translations. It is necessary that I suffer. Why? Here's the clue why. G, uh, Peter says, you can't do this. You can't do this. This is foolish. Pulling him aside. This is a PR nightmare for the Messiah. We got to like reconvene here. Get with his like war council. We got to come in. And what does Jesus do? Get behind me, Satan. 
You see, Jesus wasn't, or Peter wasn't seeing things from a godly perspective. He was seeing things from a human perspective. He was looking at success. He was looking at reputation. He was looking at victory. And, and Jesus knew something that Peter didn't because Jesus knew that the, the source of all of those things were demonic. Success at any cost. Reputation, just so you look good in front of anyone and everyone. Victory for yourself, for your own gain. Jesus knew that this was a demonically charged statement from Peter. And so he's not just saying, Peter, knock it off. He's saying, we are not going to do things the way the kingdom of darkness does things. The kingdom of darkness is all about puffing up our pride. The kingdom of darkness is all about your success at the expense of everyone else's success. That's not what Jesus is about. And so Jesus says, I am going to be radically different than that kingdom, and I am not even going to try and assure my own victory. He does say in this, in this passage he will rise, does he not? But see, what he's going to do is he's going to allow the Father to vindicate him. There's a difference between victory and vindication in, in this sense. Victory is like, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to start kicking down walls and taking names and I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to win. I'm, I'm wired that way. I like to win. Anyone else like to win? I want to play board games with winners. We'll all scream at each other the whole time. It'll be amazing. And we'll all argue over the rules. I haven't played a good board game in a while. Uh, anyway, we, we, we kind of have, some of us have that wiring of like victory. Like I'm gonna win. But vindication's very different. It doesn't mean that there's not victory, but you allow the father to hold the outcome and you trust him with it and say, I will not pursue this. See, Jesus doesn't say, oh, it's good. I'm gonna go die and suffer this horrible thing because I'm gonna rise. He says, Lord, Father, not my will, your will be done. I'm leaving this completely in your hands. I am trusting you. How many of you have ever walked into a dark season, a hard season, had trials in your life, and it's really hard to start going, I'm gonna see a victory. And, and sometimes there's, there's a good uh, invitation of faith to do that. But listen, I, I think sometimes the grit your teeth and bear it until it feels better, that's a worldly approach to victory, and it's not vindication that comes from the Father. What the Father wants to bring out in your life and mine is that as you willingly walk through suffering, as you walk through rejection because you're only focused on the Father's will for your life, when you walk through that, you don't actually see victory. What you see is the Father's vindication. It doesn't mean that everyone thinks your life's successful. There were tons of people after Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father, they just thought the disciples made the whole thing up so they felt better about themselves. See, worldly victory, people in the here and now, they know it's victory. But from the distance of eternity, we see vindication. We see true victory. I'm just trying to use a different word so that we, we understand the nuance of it. 
If you and I want to walk in the kingdom of Jesus, it's so upside down, my friends, is it not? It is going to require us to receive and choose suffering over success. This sometimes means suffering when we say no because that's like, I don't have limits. I have limits in my life and that's too much for me to take on even though it's an opportunity that could make me successful. That's part of suffering too. It means rejection over reputation. It means I am so committed to what the Father is saying to me about my life, my calling, my purpose, my community, all of these things, that that I am willing to suffer rejection in the midst of that. And I can trust that God's PR team is way better than mine. It also means choosing vindication over victory. Vindication over victory. That I am not going to fight to try and make my point known. I'm not going to try and get victory in this moment. I'm not going to try and win. I am going to allow the Father to vindicate my life. Is that a hard one? That's a hard one for me. How many of you love to get the last word in? That's victory. I want to invite you to choose vindication like Jesus. It's upside down. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes we are misunderstood. People don't think well of us. Sometimes that's our problem too. But here's what I want to drive home this morning. You and I will not achieve anything Jesus-shaped, kingdom-shaped in our lives unless it is cross-shaped. Suffering and rejection. Trusting that the Father will bring vindication. I'm not supposed to chase victory. So which Jesus are you praying to? Which Jesus are you following? What is the image of Jesus? Is it superstar Jesus? Is it buff Jesus? Is it victory and blessing at all times Jesus? Is it six pounds, seven ounce little baby Jesus? Or is it the Jesus who said I'm gonna suffer instead of be successful? I'm gonna be rejected instead of having a great reputation. And I'm gonna be in the end though vindicated instead of chasing my own victory. So we're going to take communion together as we close. And I was going to ask, can we sing Oh the Cross again? And, and as we take communion, I want you to consider, could we stand? And we're going to worship and, and take communion as we close. This, this taking of communion is to help us remember that this is the upside down way that we follow Jesus, that we follow him into suffering, into rejection, and we allow the Father to bring his vindication. This is one of those messages where I love, I could just like, if I could just paint this beautiful picture of like what happens next, but a lot of this we do not see until eternity. But what I wanna pray for this morning as we take communion is that we would see in this moment that Jesus is with us in suffering, 
because he's done it first. He's with us in rejection because he's gone through it first. And he's with us. You know, right now, Jesus is standing before the Father. This is what the book of Hebrews says. He's right now standing before the Father praying for you. Did you know that? He's there, a human being. He still has a human body. Standing before the Father and he's praying for you right now for your vindication. And I want to invite you to have an eternal perspective like Jesus did. Because when you live out, I want you to see as you live out this upside down perspective, can we say Jesus was successful? Yeah, but it didn't look like success, did it, at the time? In his death and his resurrection, there are literally billions of people who follow him. He was rejected, but man, does he have a reputation today, doesn't he? And he was vindicated, but he sure looks victorious, doesn't he? And we want to follow him in this flipped upside down way to become like him. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.